Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. We gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome him. The light shines on us today as we conclude the 12th chapter of Paul's second letter to the Church of Corinth. In verse 10 of the previous verses, we hear verse 10, we're starting at verse 11 today. Paul tells us that he is content because of the sake of Christ, no matter what comes his way. And he says these beautiful words right before our words today. For I am weak, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now he begins our section with, I've been a fool. What is going on there? Once again, stick around as we find out. The gifts are ready for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. A special thanks to Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. We have with us today, to be strengthened in God's Word, Pastor Peter Burfind of Agnus Dei Lutheran Church in Marshall, Michigan, and Our Savior Lutheran Church in Union City, Michigan, and also serves our country as an Army chaplain. Pastor Burfind, welcome to Thy Strong strong Word. Thanks for having me, Pastor Finner. Good to be here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. See, you've been on Thy Strong Word before. As we've talked, we've talked on the phone. You know, I'm new. We're kind of growing together. And also, Mm -hmm. we have new listeners all the time. I mean, we've been finding this out all the time that someone writes in and says, this is my first time listening, or people have been listening only for a year or two years or something like that. So I wanted to ask you, If you could share a few things about yourself and also the work of the saints at in Marshall and Union City, yeah, I got a I got a dual parish here in Southern Michigan, Um, Our Savior Lutheran Church in Union City and Agnes Day Lutheran Church in in Marshall. Agnes Day is a church startup. It's it's a smaller church and and you know we're we're preaching the word and and have been expanding there and and. You know, it's a uh, it's a challenge to two ministries, but but it's been a, a tremendous blessing for me. I've I've, I've moved from a, a ministry in Toledo as a campus pastor and an inner city ministry to more of a rural ministry, and it's been quite a change. But but oh, I yeah. think in the times we're in right now, I'm glad to be exactly where I'm at. <laughs> oh, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for that. And how yeah. long have you been serving as an army chaplain? Oh, since 2012. 2012. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Had one deployment no. and. You know, eight years in so far. Okay, wonderful. Are you in the reserves, or are you in? Um, well, it must be reserves. Are you in the reserves? Yeah, oh, reserves. Okay. Yep. Wonderful. Well, thank you for your service, and thanks for being on today. Now, as we begin to look at Second Corinthians chapter twelve, uh, let's do this. We're going to begin and ask for the Lord's blessings on our time together. Can you begin us in prayer? Yeah. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father who in Christ has incarnated all wisdom for us and has caused this wisdom to be written down for us in your holy word. Grant your Holy Spirit upon our study this morning that he may fill us with grace and wisdom, that by your word through St. Paul we might bear a fruit of righteousness, confession, and thanksgiving. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Reminder to everyone that if you have any questions concerning our text today, drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Professor Burfind, we are, we are close to the end of 2 Corinthians. It has been a fascinating book. 
um, letter to go through and to follow some of a lot of well, Paul's words and his travels and all the unique ups and downs, really, as I would say in this, uh, mm-hmm. in this epistle. And so do you have any background information or um, introductory things to help us out as we look at these verses? Yeah, sure. I mean, just in general, I mean, we got the background of the Corinthian church, St. Paul, the fascinating uh, uh, case study in, in how, how St. Paul worked and how the whole mystery of the, the church came up. Paul basically started in the synagogues, and, and he, he hooked up with Priscilla and Aquila in the city of Corinth, and, and they were all tent makers, so they kind of had that in, to share with each other. And it's interesting because Paul uses that image of the tent in Second Corinthians quite a bit. But they're both tent makers, and, and they, they live together. And it's a very significant point that Paul used his tent-making skills during his time in Corinth so that he could preach the gospel free of charge. That's, that's a very significant point, especially in our study today. But they, he founds the church. He spends a year and a half building the Corinthian church. And then after that, he goes up to Ephesus. And from Ephesus, he actually writes four letters to Corinth. And the, the letters that we have are the second and the fourth letters. So the first letter was, was just a general letter that St. Paul said that they should stay away from unbelievers and stay away from especially sexually immoral, immoral people. And we just have a hint of that letter in, in 1 Corinthians. Well, then he writes the, the, letter, the 1 Corinthians, and that, that addresses all these, all these issues, as you know, that, that came up in the Corinthian church. But then there's another letter, a third letter, that's called the Sorrowful Letter. Something had happened in the, in the church of Corinth. Something, someone challenged Paul's authority, and, the, and they're, they're entered into the Corinthian church, what's referred to as super apostles. And they, they started claiming an authority greater than Paul, and people started following them. And these super apostles were introducing, they could have been Jewish Christians who were, who were introducing a rigid adherence to the law or some sort of new aestheticism or maybe even a libertinism. And we can talk a lot about that. But Paul essentially was forced to write a very sorrowful letter where he was rather harsh with them. And he uses Titus to send that letter to Corinth. Titus comes back and gives word to St. Paul that everything is good, the majority is good, that, that most of the people received the letter, were grateful for it, they repented of their sin, and, and mm-hmm. things are good. So that leads Paul to write a fourth letter saying, ah, things are good. <laughs> And right. okay, so that brings us to Second Corinthians. Chapters ten through twelve are, are notable in Second Corinthians because the first part of the letter, chapters one through nine, Paul has that conciliatory, refreshing tone of, oh, you know, things got scary, but we, we took care of it and and things are better now. But then in chapter ten, all of a sudden things turn a direction and Paul almost becomes very sarcastic and really has to defend his ministry and he does all this boasting, you know, this you know, he doesn't want to, but he's like, if I have to boast, I will boast. And it's kind of a harsh tone. And some people think that chapters 10 through 12 or, or 13 are actually the the third letter, that sorrowful letter. But mm-hmm. I think more conservative scholars just accept it the way it is and say, no, it's just Paul changing his tone, which he often did. He'd, he'd write a letter and then maybe later in the book, he, he would, you know, exhort his, his hearers and 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 address some of the issues going on. So so that that's how I go with it. I think that you know I think this is all Paul's fourth letter, and that brings us to to Colossians, or, uh, the latter part of Corinthians, where Paul's 
basically defending his, his authority as an apostle for the Corinthian church. And that brings us to the chapter we're at today. Yeah, he uses, you know, if I if I were, bear with me just a little bit, you know, the beginning mm-hmm. of chapter 11, I'm a fool, and he, he does that here too. And there is yeah. a marked difference of 10 through 12. 13, he yeah. kind of brings it back a little bit, and there's a pastoral tone there. But 10 through mm-hmm. 12, I mean, it's like guns ablaze in here. Um, yeah, he yeah. goes after him, lowers himself almost to the level of the super apostles, which I'm excited to get to with you today. Yep. Um, <laughs> any other any other thoughts on 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 this? Well, when we take one step back, is that yesterday we were talking about his uh, visions, the third heaven, talking about thorn in the flesh. Um, the Lord comes to him at the right time, perfect pastoral thing, perfect God thing, of course. My grace mm-hmm. is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Any thoughts, the verses right before this? You want to share anything with yeah, me? Yeah, it, it's a big theme that, that Paul's making, is that the val- the validity of the Christian minister is not in his eloquence, in his rhetorical abilities, in the signs and wonders he does, in his subtle and esoteric doctrines that he's teaching. But Paul really emphasizes the simplicity of the gospel. And he emphasizes, I mean, there's a passage, I think it's in chapter five, where he says, you know, we are earthen vessels. We have a treasure with earthen vessels. Right. And, you know, that that's the the power of our message is not in the in our persons. That That's probably that sums up Paul's entire theme of the latter chapters is the power of our message of the gospel is not in our persons. And sometimes God specifically picks broken vessels to make that point. And so Paul says earlier in the in the book, he says, you know, when I came, some of you said I came weak and, oh, he has a he has mm-hmm. a weak bearing when he's when he's here with us. But his letters are powerful. Well, yeah, I mean, look, Moses was a stutterer or had some sort of speech impediment. Um, a, a lot of the prophets in the Old Testament were just these kind of weak, flimsy characters. And and Paul was similar. I mean, he was not not a very. Uh, he didn't have a lot of presence, as we say in the army. Um, you know, he just he, he he was kind of a weak person, and he glories in that. He says that you know, sure I'm a weak person, sure I've been beat, sure I've been picked on, and and all that. But that's that's the glory, so that you know that this message we proclaim in its all its simplicity is not about us, but it's about the word and the power of the word. And I love that he says in. in... Second Corinthians chapter eleven verse six. Even if I am an unskilled in speaking, so he even speaks of himself this way. It reminds me of the hymn where it says, "If I cannot preach like Paul," and you're like, "Well, yeah, was Paul that great of a preacher? I don't know." But yeah. he goes on to say that I am knowledgeable, and he and he says this in other places. Obviously, I preach Christ and Him crucified. That's what makes one wise. And so he's really doing a great job of showing us the essence of preaching and the yep. essence of who we are as a church. Last thoughts before yeah. we dig in. Well, just on, on that, I, I'm, I'm thinking the, the city of Corinth was a was a port town, and so they had a lot of strange ideas coming in, and it was a place where where the sophists were, mm. were tended to to have have a lot of sway. And the sophists, for those of you who haven't heard, Plato, the the philosopher, dealt with the sophists, and they were known for having great rhetoric and basically using their rhetoric to, to make an income. And they, they dazzle people and speak powerfully and use their rhetorical skills. And people would throw money at them. Oh, yeah, we, we hear more. We want to hear what you have to say. And I think, I wonder if that might be part of the character of some of these super apostles. And that's what Paul was getting at when he said, he said, you know, I, I, I have no eloquence in speech, you know, but I, I do have wisdom. <laughs> so right. I wonder if that might be going on with, behind some of that, too. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's dig in. There's a lot to go through. Even, Pastor, you and I talked, and this is good for you, our listeners, is that when you first read this, you might think, ah, there's not many gems. You know, there's no, therefore, you're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. um, The new has come. It doesn't have any of that, but yet it is profoundly um, pointing us to truth in Christ. So let's look at verses 11 through 13, and then we'll dig in. Reminder to our listeners, we are reading from the English Standard Version. Paul says, I've been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I'm nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with the utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what you were less favored than the rest of the churches, expect that I myself did not burden you, Forgive me this wrong. So he says, I've been a fool. What is he saying here, Pastor? Well, he, I mean, he, he had to kind of take this posture towards the Corinthians because they, they were evidently, they were very uh, influenced by these so, so, so-called super apostles who came on very strong. They were eloquent. They came with these subtle doctrines um, they probably did signs and wonders, and they dazzled everybody. And everybody, you know, it's like it's what's been happening throughout history. And we'll we'll talk a little bit about this character yeah. type, the personality cult leader. But these guys came in, and Paul basically has to say, "All right, if that's what you're looking for, let me be a fool because this is foolish for what I'm doing, and and let me start boasting." And it this goes against every grain of Saint Paul, which I find very. Very fascinating. Paul does not want to boast. He doesn't want to boast in himself, but he does. All right, if you want me to boast, I'll boast. Um, here's, you know, look at me. They're, they might be Jewish people. I'm a Jew, too. Um, they might yeah. be, you know, they saw visions. Well, let me tell you about the vision I saw. Uh, you know, they, they claim to be followers or, or disciples of Christ. Well, pff, am I not a disciple of Christ? I've been shipwrecked. I've been beat. I've been going through all these things. So, you know, anything, you know, what, what haven't I done what more do I need to do? And what's interesting is the more he needs to do, he actually suggests is kind of bully the people a little more. He, you know, he's like, you know, <laughs> did I need to bully you? Did I need to, did I need to tell you you had to pay me a lot of money just so, just so that you could respect me? I mean, I, I came on very humble and weak for your sake. And, and because I'm not, you know, because I'm not more of a bully in a sense and imposing all these strict rules on you and, and even Beating you at one point, he says, you know, I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't slap you in the mm-hmm. face. You know, do I, do I need to do that to, to win you over to me? And so he does have to kind of play the fool here. And, and that's boasting. Right. And then he speaks a lot about weakness. Does a wonderful job of pointing us back to Christ when he talks about weakness as well. A good reminder for us on how it's good for us to admit that we are weak when we talk about the Christian faith. Too often we talk about not we don't talk about, but it can be implied and obviously false prophets that we see on TV and so forth right. will make it sound like, hey, no, this is no problem. Um, but here he's saying he, he's kind of puffing his chest a little bit, which is unique yeah. for Paul. He says, for right. I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. I mean, you feel like, OK, this is a back and forth for feeling. And he's talking about the signs. He's talking about what they're doing. Um, basically, what I would argue is we're in sacrament, but he is fighting the super apostles. And Pastor, you have a unique perspective on this. I, I would argue you have a unique perspective on this because you've written a book about Gnosticism in America. 
Gnostic yeah. America is your book. Yep. And yep. and your argument is that these super apostles were a form of Gnosticism. Now, yeah. reminder of for for you as you do this and for you our listeners is that this is something very important and I would just um, ask first of all, Pastor, to make it simple for us simple folk here. But also, um, this is important because I think it's very much so part of your life in America, but also our lives in the church. So, if you could yeah. kind of talk about your connection with this. Okay, so my well, my connection with it is is I've been when I first read Saint Irenaeus, an early church father who combated Gnosticism in the in the second century. I was reading his work, and I'm and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is exactly what we're dealing with today. And I, was, and I became alert to the dangers of Gnosticism, and, and I took seriously the words of, of St. John, who said the spirit of Antichrist is throughout, throughout history. And the spirit of Antichrist, St. John defines very clearly in, as Gnostic theology. And he says the Antichrist is anybody who denies that Christ has come in the flesh. And that is, mm. that is Gnosticism in, in a nutshell— they deny the importance of the material world. They deny the God that created the physical world, and they deny that Christ has come in the flesh. So what they do, Gnostics are those that believe that God works with us not through a person like Jesus or through sacraments, through bread and wine and, and the sacrament, you know, baptism of water. He doesn't work through a physical institution like the church, but he works directly upon us internally, psychically, in, you know, internally, I guess, is the, is the one word. And so what happens here, and, and this, is, this is the subtle point that if you can get this, you, you get a lot of it. But where we locate God, we Christians confess and locate God as a person outlined and defined by his flesh. So that's Jesus Christ. He's defined by his flesh and blood. And that's where we locate God. God is completely distinct and separate from us. And that continues in the church which is the body of Christ and which is communed to us through the flesh and blood of Christ and the sacraments. Okay. So we outline and locate God as something other from us who works by grace upon us and works that communion. Gnostics, I like to explain it this way. It's like God drains out of the person of Christ, out of his flesh and blood, and God becomes accessible to anybody psychically or inwardly, and there becomes a very fuzzy line where God ends and I begin. <laughs> mm, you know, yeah. when, when we understand God very clearly as located in the person of Jesus Christ and in his church, there's very clear lines where God ends and I begin. The relationship is one of grace. But when, when that line becomes fuzzy and, well, I'm thinking this, so maybe this is God speaking to me. And, and this is what was going on in Corinth. You had these, you had these prophets or charismatic individuals rise up. And they claimed that God had spoken to them. And God gave them a truth that transcended what, you know, the traditions of the apostles told you. And, you know, God has, God has spoken to me, and I'm anointed by the Spirit. And, and so they'd go into these churches and preach a very powerful message, and they attracted a following, and they were very charismatic individuals. And then people would start saying, well, you know, I know I grew up with the traditions of Paul and the traditions of the church, but what this guy's saying is just so powerful and dynamic. And, and so they follow that. Well, that creates schism because you got one small group of frozen chosen individuals in any congregation who believe that, that they're anointed by the Spirit and that their leader, and they always call themselves their leader, that they were anointed by the Spirit because they have this internal charisma going on. And then invariably what happens is these, these churches fall into 
baptism and and eventually the established church like St. Paul have to come and, and finally exert themselves. So th- this is, I mean, I hope that explained it in a nutshell, but um, yeah, th- and, and this, this idea of a super apostle has, has happened throughout history. Um, in Luther's day, there was a city called Munster, and there were two apostles that rose up and said, you know, don't listen to your Lutheran pastor, but we've got a special anointing of the Holy Spirit. And these things always end up in disaster. These super apostles always, they, 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 they're very charismatic. Everybody loves following them. But eventually they start making demands on the flock. They start imposing a very strict Puritanism. Um, they might insist on communalism. You know, oh, we've got to share. If you're a Christian, you're going to do this. You're going to share your property. And by the way, I need a little extra property because of the importance mm-hmm. of my office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and all these petty tyrants, they're, they're petty tyrants, they're bullies, they're narcissists. Um, and they, they, they end up using their position to, to, as a self, self-aggrandizement to, 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 for money, for power, or whatever. And, and Paul hints at that, too. You know, you want one, someone like that? I came. I didn't charge you. I didn't do anything. I didn't impose anything on you. Do you want me yeah. to? <laughs> you know, do you want me right. to slap you in the face and bully you so that you'll, <laughs> you'll give me some respect? <laughs> and he speaks about, you know, um, do you want to be enslaved? Do you want me yeah. more demands? And and here, um, I want to. That's a great rundown of of it and the connections of Gnosticism. And I think you've said this before, said it to me at least, is that Gnosticism isn't something that just kind of showed up in the first century. This is the devil's right. theology, where you're it's focusing away theology. from the de- yeah devil from uh, from from the death and resurrection of Jesus, a physical person, and physically comes to you to something that we are always guessing whether or not it's God. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so this is nothing new. Um, it's still around with us today. And I would like to talk a little bit about that after our break, as far mm-hmm. as how you might see that today. But just to okay. make this one point here is that he says, um, and for, were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? What is he saying right there? He yeah. says, forgive me for this wrong. We have about one minute here, Pastor. Can you kind of explain what he's saying there? Yeah, I mean, and, and, and it previous in, in Corinthians, he said, basically he says, my lane, my call was to this specific area of Corinth. And you guys are all looking to these other churches, maybe where these super apostles were, and razzle-dazzling everybody. And, and he's saying, you know, what, should I have burdened you more? I mean, because that's exactly the point, is people, for some reason, they want to be enslaved, like Israel wanting to go back to Egypt. And Paul gave the gospel free of charge, and and didn't slap him in the face. And for some reason he says, is that what I need to do? Do I need to charge you? Do I need to beat you down? Do I need to impose Puritanism? And, you know, I mean, obviously they didn't. So he, he saved the day, but yeah, that's what's going on there. All right. So a real jealous, quick rundown of these other congregations. Right. Oh my gosh. We could talk a lot about how that connects to today's world, but I just want to, yep. I want to do this quick rundown of the idea of, okay, so Paul's in Macedonia he had spent 18 months starting this church. He had done, you know, he had visited then, had a painful visit. He wants to visit again. Somewhere in the middle of all of that, probably between First and Second Corinthians, these super apostles come in, give him a whole bunch of razzle-dazzle, and there's yeah. controversy with that. And, and like you said, they're, they're, they're eloquent, they're exciting, they seem to have all the answers, they're questioning yep. Paul's authority. And now Paul says in verse 14, here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. So that is the yeah. background. But right now we need to take a break. We need to take a break. We are here studying 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
with Pastor Peter Burfind. Uh, we'll be right back. Friday on Issues Etc., we'll conclude our series, Answering Arguments Against Christianity, talking with Pastor Mark Pearson about the objection, Miracles Don't Happen. Chris Rosebro joins us to discuss Joel Osteen turning a prophecy about Jesus into a prophecy about the power of positive declarations, and we'll play Issues Etc. Soundbite of the Week. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Cross Defense is the show where we talk about curious topics to excite the imagination, equip the mind, and comfort the soul with God's Word. Join me, Pastor Tyrell Bramwell, every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio, or anytime on KFUO.org, or even your favorite podcast app. My friends, our foe is a fierce enemy. Our only defense is Christ on the cross. In spite of junk mail and internet spam, there are still times and places in life when it can be said, how lovely are the messengers. And I am happy to remind you that Sing for Joy is one of those places. The musical messengers and their message are here for you each week. Join us this week and every week. Sundays at noon on KFUO. And welcome back. We are studying 2 Corinthians chapter 12, concluding chapter 12 with Pastor Peter Burfind from Michigan. And we, during this uh, break, I've been thinking about this, is Gnosticism. Um, as you said, it's kind of a, a, a secret knowledge that you might have within yourself. It's something that you're almost kind of guessing. Um, how, and that was what was happening with the, uh, the pastor's argument, which I think I agree with him, is that this was one of the things that was being revealed in the super apostles. Mm -hmm. I have a calling from God. You can't question it. Pastor, how does that relate to today? How does it happen today? Oh, well, it's a, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the Pentecostalist tradition, and the Pentecostalist tradition is very powerful in, in America, but it's all about this internal call um, I mean, much of Reformed theology centers on this idea that you can't put your certainty in, in external things like the church or the sacraments, so the, the certainty comes from feelings of the heart. So as soon as you take the focus off the external and put it on the self, that, that opens the door for Gnostic ways of thinking. And, I mean, I think this is why in, in the modern day we've seen a lot of, you know, new mysticism entering into the church and some of the church practices and, and a, kind of a, a return to some of these ideas that, that usually are not typically identified with Protestantism. But, um, yeah, it's, it, it, it would take several shows to go over all the influences of Gnosticism in our, in our world today. But that, that's the heart of it, is, is there becomes a fuzzy line where God ends and you begin. And the reason that line becomes fuzzy is because you do not locate our Lord and his work for us in 
physical properties like Jesus's body and blood or like the church and its sacraments today. And, it, you know, that's, that's an important distinction for us is not to go after certain Christian groups or something along those lines, but for us to definitely look at ourselves and say, okay, how do I learn? How do I know God? Is it based on what I think God should be? I remember in college, numerous discussions, and I just wasn't, you know, formed enough to understand what to say, but it was kind of like, well, I think God would be this way. And someone mm-hmm. else would say, well, I think God should be this way. <laughs> and all of it was kind of good to the ears. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. I want a God like that. And da da da. And then yeah. I remember, well, obviously seminary, they're like, listen, it's God about God revealed, not God hidden. God hidden always leads you to more questions. God yeah. revealed gives you the answers you need. Um, yeah. And that's the essence of Gnosticism. If someone tells you, I've heard from God this, it might be true. Like we're not denying that God doesn't quote speak to people, but if it right. contradicts the word of God, then it clearly is not from God. And, and, and here's, and a, here's the basic principle is that the extent to which you, you, you begin fuzzifying that, this, that, that, that separation between God and you and begin to, you know, the extent to which it becomes fuzzy where God ends and you begin. Right. And you start thinking like, well, maybe this, what I think is actually what God is. To that, to that extent, you will be projecting your own desires in place of God, which is ultimately what an idol is. But this is the anti-Christian nature of it is because these feelings that you're having, that you're projecting onto God, end up, and, and you're saying, well, that's Christ or that's the Holy Spirit. So you're, it's an idol that you're naming Christ. Because idols are just projections of our own desires. So if you take your desires and project them and say, well, this is the divine trinity working on me, when now that is by definition what the Antichrist does. I think we see that specifically in, for instance, uh, uh, arguments today to justify gay marriage or something like that, you know, they, or, or transgenderism, things that are so clearly against the word of God. But now there's this movement in modern society, and and now it's, well, I, I wish this were the case. Well, now if if there's a fuzzy line where God ends and I begin because God is in me. Well, maybe my feeling that gay marriage should be legal, maybe that's from God. And so now I'll just project that and, and make that, make that truth. So it's a very subtle, subtle way that, that the devil works, but he's been doing it throughout history. Right. Yeah. And that's where we look at what Paul has to say, and he's fighting against this, the question of who has the authority. Is yeah. authority in my power or is it in God's power? Is it, you know, um, is it in my eloquence or is it in the wisdom of Christ? Where yeah. is our authority? And he makes, I, I think, and as I'm, I'm going to look at verse 14 here, I think he's making a little bit of a slight once again against the super apostles. Because in verse 14, let's just look at verse 14 for now. Yeah. He says this. Here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden, for I seek not yep. what is yours, but you. For children are obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I just wanted to say this one thing before I get your insights here, is he's, he's pointing at these super apostles who will come in, say good words, and probably leave. You know, collect the cash yep. and run. And he's saying, I'm yep. coming a third time. Third time. <laughs> And he talks about, I will not be a burden. I was a tent maker. You didn't charge me. 
Um, yep. You don't need to spend five thousand dollars for me to speak at your next pastors conference. Yeah. All right. I'm coming <laughs> for free. This is what he's saying. What are your thoughts on this on this passage? Oh, well, that's totally. I, when I was contemplating these super apostles and trying to trying to make it relevant today, I mean, that's exactly what I came up with. You know, if is and again, this this dynamic or this character, this cult personality. It's almost an archetype that you see throughout the history of the church. And today, it's exactly that. You, you know, for a, for a pastor's conference, they'll bring some, some big-name speaker at a hotel conference, and they bring the speaker in. He's very powerful and very dynamic and very charismatic, and, and oh, he's so powerful. And he might even speak in terms of, you know, I, God gave me this message. He weighed this message on my heart. And so he's got that, and like, oh, well, this guy's from God. He must be legit. He's paid significant amount of money <laughs> to come. Yeah. He comes in, razzle-dazzle everybody. Very often time, they will use bullying techniques, whether that's making you feel guilty about something you're not doing right, um, you know, or just kind of like embarrassing you publicly to try to bully you into a, a certain way of thinking. And, and, then, and then the people will come back, and they go to these hotel conferences, or they, they see this conference, and then they go back to their churches, and they talk about the dynamic preacher and 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 they complain about their established church and their boring pastor and boy if we just had this dynamic dynamic program that was introduced the new this new revolution or revelation or new revolution in how church should be done the new paradigm that's another phrase you know a paradigm shift in how things should be done and pastor you need to do this so that so that we can be trendy like those other churches that we're jealous of that are doing all this stuff. And then the poor pastor has to sit there and, you know, I've been with, like Paul is doing, I've been with you all these years. I've been the one that had been sitting by your bedside or your hospital bedside. I, I've been as a father to you, and Paul uses that term, I've been as a father to you, right. and you have been like my children. And and now you're you're coming in with this new idea. I mean, it's it's, it's as old as as well. It's old as Adam, if you think about it. <laughs> mm-hmm, absolutely. And and I think there's a fine line where we don't want to say all conferences are bad. Or right. Something right. Along right. Those lines. We have to be we have to be very careful when we look at things. How do we do this? Is a focus on the scriptures? Is a focus on study? Is a focus on care? Um, and, and right now it's kind of a mute point, at least in Minnesota, maybe in Michigan too. Like we haven't had conferences, so it's right. not even a thing we have to worry about. But well, I love yeah, how you – go ahead. I, I got to be careful myself. I have been a conference speaker. So, I mean, <laughs> it, you're right. I mean, it's, I mean, this is what we do, right? We go to conferences and, and talk about the Word of God and all this stuff. And so, yeah, I, I don't want to be maligning that, but it's yeah. definitely a thing. You know, and I've been to a lot of conferences where it was exactly that. And, you know, you get some – you know, a, a slick speaker who has some new insight or new paradigm change, and he's got all the science and data behind him, so he uses that, in, like, magically and gets everybody, oh, he's got the science and data on his side, and, and now suddenly we're all supposed to listen to that. And, and I, I, think, I think that dynamic is exactly what, what Paul was dealing with in, in, Corinthian, in the Corinthian church. He was, and here he says a few things that are very important for us to remember of the pastoral nature of Paul. First of all, he's visiting the third time. Um, he definitely mm-hmm. is wanting to be with these folks. He was there 18 months, started the church, knew people. Um, he's there. Is he there the longest of, of all the places? Was that or was Ephesus longer? Ephesus, you know he was there, Ephesus pretty long. He was there like three years, but at Corinth, okay, a year okay. and a half. All right. yeah. I just kind of lost my train of thought there. But also, like you said, for children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. He's clearly right. speaking as a, as a spiritual father who wants to give the good gifts to his children. Not as like mm-hmm. a submission type thing, but as a, I love you as a father who love their children. 
So yeah. he's really fighting against us in what we would consider to be a care of souls mentality that I love you because of Christ and I want to care for you as God has redeemed you. So last thoughts on verse 14 before I move on. Yeah, go ahead. All right, let's go to verse 15 and uh, let's see here. I'll, let's go with verse 15 for now. I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? What is the argument he's making here? Well, I, I've been using a New King James and, and the way I got it read, and I don't know what's right here, but though the, <laughs> though the more abundantly I love, the less I am loved. And what I took from that is, is you know, your kids, everything they want and trying to make them happy and, and spoiling them essentially. But sometimes it means doing tough love where you're absolutely adoring your children and making tough decisions. Meanwhile, they love you the less because you're doing that. And I think Paul might be referring to his sorrowful letter where he had to kind of, you know, become laid on the law, so to speak. And they, they were kind of upset with them, but it, it moved them in the end. And, you know, and that's we know that with children also is you're tough at first, but later on in life, they're like, oh, thank you for doing that. You saved me, you know, and I think Paul's taking that tone. So so just the application today is, you know, when, when a pastor is tough with you and, and tells you words you don't necessarily want to hear, I mean, trust them. He's not I mean, no pastor wants to be harsh on his on his flock. No pastor wants to be, you know, a tyrant or anything like that, especially Um but but they have to stand true on God's word, and sometimes that's hard to hear. And in the long run, you know, it's going to bear a fruit of righteousness, and, and that's what you want. You don't, you don't just want a feel-good pastor who tells you what you want to hear, and meanwhile you're on your way to hell. Absolutely. And and he speaks here with an utter, un, you know, selflessness towards the Corinthians. You know, it goes beyond mm-hmm. money. He's willing to spend and uh, to be spent for your souls is basically what he's saying. You know, if I love you more, am I to be loved less? And and he's just pouring out his soul to them. He's saying, I want to give everything I have for you, and I'm not interested in something to be returned to me, yeah. uh, to, to be returned to me. Any other thoughts before yeah. we move on? Well, just I'm thinking, I mean, visually, Paul set up shop right next to the synagogue. He lived with a man named Justice who lived right next to the synagogue. So he literally was right next to them when he was doing his work. And it just—it's just kind of stunning to, to to imagine Paul just kind of doing his tent business, and I imagine him, you know, maybe making tents and then selling them, but spending most of his time talking with people about the gospel. And you know, this kind of a—I'd I'd love to see a movie on that, you know, just see what that was like, you know, to visualize some of that. Right. Oh yeah. That—that's one of the fascinating things to think about Paul is him as a real person. Yeah. Where was he when he wrote this? And also. And this is something I should have done in the very beginning, and I'm hoping to capture this when I have a few um, uh, guests who have written commentaries on the epistles. But you think about yeah. how long it would have taken him to write this, or to have oh, it, yeah. you know, written, you know, written for him, and and the intricate thoughts that had to go into this, where you know, just for him to say uh, that I care for your souls, and the, he wrote this sentence not in a way of like okay let's just get this done and get this out of here but he was thinking and praying and and all this stuff at the same time so i think about that a lot of the of the humanity of these letters as well any other thoughts one of the commentaries i was reading was was saying how you know the perhaps one of the reasons for his change of tone from chapter 9 to chapter 10 is he took a break from writing (laughs) he came away and he came back to his writing and had a new idea and started writing i mean that that does happen 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's move on. Um, let's do verses 16 through 18. But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and send the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? What What are your thoughts on these verses, Pastor? Well, the the uh, the not being crafty thing, I, I was a little confused about that. What what? Mm-hmm. Because I know that these super apostles, if especially if they were proto gnostics or Jewish speculators, that they would have been extremely sophisticated and crafty in the way they in the way they spoke and spoke in du- double entendres, and that's how gnostics are. They always speak in these kind of cryptic ways that are ironical. They're very ironical in the way they talk, and it's almost like Paul, in order to 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 kind of you know, maybe mock them or, or even go with the, I mean, the Corinthians were a very sophisticated congregation and, you know, they're a port town, so they're getting all these ideas and maybe he needed to kind of fake his craftiness or fake his cunningness to try to appeal to them. Maybe that simplistic approach that he was wanting to take wasn't reaching him. They wanted a little more, you know, subtlety or or whatever. So Paul had to do that. It's the only thing I was really thinking about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Titus became a, an ambassador of Paul, and and they were on the same page with with the, with the pastoral heart. Titus is is one of the good guys, you know. But I I'm not quite sure what that being crafty, you know, what what that was, what that's all about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What does he say? I was crafty, you say, and got better of you by deceit. And it makes you wonder yeah. what the arguments were being made by the super apostles. Was it right, simply right. that he wasn't coming back? See, he's crafty. He didn't come back as quickly as he said he would come. See, yeah. he's sending other people. Clearly, he doesn't care about you. And and then he and that's something I was thinking about is it connects because he uses Titus and the brothers are with him. Maybe there was something along those lines. He's not even man enough to bring bring himself back here, or whatever it might be. Even though he had visited a number of times, who knows? We're we're, we're conjecturing at this point. Right, we right. already know. Um, but here he is saying, okay, let's, let's put the proof in the pudding here. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, did did Titus take advantage of you? How about the brothers? Do you think all the instructions he gives in second Corinthians chapter eight, that I'm going to send this guy, this representative to collect a great offering. Do you think that they're going to do this to you too? Um, Do we not to take the same steps? I mean, he's putting the onus back on them to say, where have we gone wrong here? Other thoughts on that? Yeah, no, just that that is one of the things I was reading is that is that some people were accusing him of being fickle. Like he he wasn't sure whether he, you know, he, yeah, I'm going to be there next, you know, I'm going to come and visit you, and now I'm not going to visit you, and, you know, that he was kind of a ADHD type of individual, and, and the super <laughs> apostles were using that against him. So that, I think what the way you were looking at that, I think that's that's spot on. Very good. Well, as we look at the, the, the we have about 10 minutes left here, Pastor, and we look at these last number of verses, It, I think it very much so, and this is good for you, the listeners as well, is that it relates to us today. What does it mean to live the Christian life? What are we called to do? And also, I think a very important thing is the idea of patience in the midst of the life of the Christian. So let's slowly yeah. go through this. So like I said, we have 10 minutes. Uh, let's just do verse 19. Have you been thinking all along, that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all and all for your building beloved or beloved. 
it's a little bit weird there as far as uh, grammatically, but mm-hmm. he speaks about what he and the other um, preachers are coming in the sight of. What is he telling us here? He's basically, he says this numerous times in his writings. He's, he, he basically says, I'm, I don't have to justify myself to you. You know, I'm, I'm my ultimate judgment or my, the other ultimate person I got to stand before and give an account to is my Lord. I'm trying to win his favor. So he's trying to win favor as he's taking this posture, this humble posture, which itself is remarkable. is because Paul is winning the Lord's favor by taking this very gentle pastoral tone with, with the Corinthians, because that's how the Lord wants to deal with his flock. You know, he, he, the Lord wants to be simplistic about the truth. He says, what I say in the secret place, you know, say, claim from the mountaintops. He doesn't want to be a burden on them. He says, come to me, you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He calls them beloved because they are the beloved of God. I mean, when, when pastors are dealing with the flock of Christ, I myself take this very seriously. We are dealing with the beloved of God. And these are people that have been baptized and redeemed by Christ. They are not means to some sort of self-aggrandizement for me, you know, being a super apostle. They're, they're not a means to me, you know, you know, making it a huge income. They are the Lord's lambs that we are charged with, with tending to. And I think Paul reflects that here. He, he, uh, he, is, uh, he, doesn't, make, he doesn't justify himself before them. He's, his, his answer is to the Lord. You know, that is interesting because I was looking at the verse where he says, um, and I will not be a burden for I seek not what is yours, but you. Mm-hmm. And those are perfect words. There was one commentary that kind of talked about that the super apostles were thinking about the wool, not the sheep. Yes. And and yeah. our goal is to look for the sheep. And, um, and you're exactly right. When we think of this, this is what Paul's telling them is that I am here in the name of Jesus, not as a puffing of the chest, even though he kind of appears sometimes to be doing that, but he speaks Uh instantly right away about his weaknesses. And why am I here in the name of Jesus? For your upbuilding. And I wish he would have said something like my beloved, or maybe that's just for our wives or something, but um, the beloved, because you are the ones loved by God. And my goal is that we are building up the community of Christ, the body of Christ, which is really a theme that we see throughout his epistles as well. So it's just a reminder, because yeah, how many times as pastors or as Christians that we look at each other as a potential volunteer, as a potential maybe staff person or a potential member or a potential giver or a potential whatever it might be, as opposed to the soul of whom God has died for. You know, that, that's an, uh, yeah, big time thoughts, it's something that just came <laughs> to me, because when I was a pastor in Toledo, um, there was a, you know, these, what do they call these uh, pyramid schemes? What are they, yeah. the official yeah. term for them? But we had yeah. one of them. It was, a, I don't know, was it Amway or, or it was something else. But it was someone wanted to start that in our congregation. And I thought about yeah. it for a day or two, and I said, absolutely not. Because what that does now is if that gets started, now everybody's going to be looking at each other not as children of God, as souls to, to love and care for, but as potential um, buyers in their, in their, what do they call that, multi-level Marketing, multi-level marketing right. in there, whatever scheme that was. Pyramid you know, scheme, yeah. So this person's, being, this person's being nice to me, and he's being friendly, and, and oh, yeah, I like him. He's really nice. Well, he's doing that because he wants me to be part of his little <laughs> multi, multi-level uh, marketing. And Paul is revealing that this is what the super apostles are doing, is that they see yeah. them as a way to maybe feed their ego or 
um, to become a rock star or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and we're not trying to say that, like, don't be nice because then, you know, you won't be popular or something like that. But right, what right. is the authority? Once again, what is our authority? Let's keep moving here. We have uh, just about six minutes left here. I want to get to okay. these last two verses. Yep. Verses 20 and 21. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, <laughs> and that you may find me not as you wish. Yeah. And perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual morality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Yeah. So he's fearing a few things. What is he fearing? Well, it's, I mean, he's fearing, I mean, decision is what it is. Jealousies and contentions, outbursts of wrath. I mean, it's, it's what every one of us has dealt with in many a voters meeting. I mean, and what I find stunning about this is nothing's new under the sun. Nothing's right. new in the church. I mean, I'd like to point out first Corinthians, Paul starts calling these people saints and then proceeds to talk about their issues of getting drunk in communion, of incest, of fornication, and, and right. you know all, all, all these sins. And they're like, whoa, what kind of church was this? It's a typical church that's been throughout history. Churches, we, we're in this anti-institutional mode right now where, oh, I don't go to church because of this, that, and the other thing. Well, because there's sinners at church? Well, that's kind of ironic, isn't it? Isn't sinners what church is all about. I mean, yeah, we got room for one more. Yeah. 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 Come on. We got room for you too, but it's, it's this sort of people have such a, almost a puritan, puritanical understanding of what social organizations should be. And boy, just, you know, and they think, Oh, things were like in the early church. Well, take a look at this. You know, I mean, from the, from the very beginning, you, you had no pure, perfect church. And that's where, um, he kind of says, I fear this is what I'm going to find. And he says that I'm, that you will not be as I wish and that you'll find me not as you wish. Right. It's kind of an interesting <laughs> pullback on himself. And then he says, I fear that it'll be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. And I think when I read that, I was kind of like, well, you fear that's going to happen because that's going to be there. It's just going to be yeah. there. Um, but But he doesn't speak of it as, I will only return if you've cleaned those things up. Right, you know, right. You know, those kind of things. And then he continues on. He fears once again. And I think this is even a little more fearful. First of all, he's fearing that this is going to be there, which I think is good for all of us to know. Uh -huh. we, we do fear these things as pastors. We do fear these things as churches. And we ask the Lord to strengthen us and how to be patient in the midst of that. But the last right. one is he says, um, I fear that God will humble me. Um, those who had basically have not repented. Why is he so concerned about people not repenting? Yeah, and that, that is interesting. My God will humble me. Basically, you know, I mean, Paul's Paul. I mean, he's the greatest apostle. And if he can't go in and preach a message that leads people to repentance, how humbling will that be for Paul? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it, right. it's like, okay, I guess, you know, you know, maybe... You know, I think he was humble in, his, in and of himself anyways, but it also just goes to show the powerful of these sins, you know, the, the uncleanness, fornication and lewdness, the sensuality, sexual immorality that tended. I mean, there were certain Gnostic movements that that were very profligate in terms of their abuse of sexuality, because one of the Gnostic byproducts was that because 
the flesh doesn't matter. You can indulge it, and it doesn't matter because your salvation is completely internal. And there's a lot of ramifications of that that I see today. But but it ultimately leads to a lot of sexual immorality. And, and if that, in fact, was going on, which I think it is, that's a very strong pull on people. I mean, it, it gets I mean, it gets smack dab into what we're dealing with today, where sexuality becomes someone's identity. So for Paul to challenge people's sexuality, they're basically saying, well, you're challenging who I am. I can't repent. repent I can't repent of who I am. And so right. that that humbles Paul. Wow. That is so good. Yeah. The connection of Gnosticism, which is what I feel inside must be right, and the mm-hmm. connection of the immoral behavior that we will, um, either we will use our bodies inappropriately, and this is a common theme in First and Second Corinthians, you know, how do we yeah. use our bodies to glorify yeah. God? And at the same time, if somebody gets in my way, then I'll just kind of push them aside, which is another yeah. byproduct of that, uh, to yeah. think about the church is more than that. And the church obviously has a physical savior, a physical God who comes to you physically and has made you a new creation in him. Right. Pastor, we have about less than a minute here. Well, how would you sum up this verse? And I mean, th- these verses in light of second Corinthians, would you have like a sentence or a word or how would you, what would you say? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> well, if I can return to, to very quickly to a theme that I find fascinating that we didn't quite get to, and that that, that Paul came to, um, he, he says that I came with signs and wonders, and we kind of we kind of glossed over that quick. Right. And Jesus, right. They, the the Pharisees went to Jesus also and said, "What sign do you have?" And he said, "The only sign that matters is the sign of the resurrection." And I find it interesting that for Paul too, it was very similar. Our mm. sign, the sign that validates our message, is the resurrection to this day, and not necessarily you know like some big glorious miracle that we're doing. But in a sense, the, resur- the new creation that we have by faith, that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate sign that, that St. Paul appeals to in, in Corinthians is, the, is exactly that. And I, I find that very interesting. That is the power of the resurrection of a physical body and we will rise as well. Pastor yep. Peter Burfind, yep. Agnus Dei, Lutheran Church in Marshall, and our Savior in Union City, Michigan, helping us today to conclude 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Pastor Burfind, thank you for being our guest. Hey, thank you for having me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there will be quarreling, jealousy, anger, and gossip and disorder. There will be immorality, but this is not a cause for us to despair, but to repent and place our hope in Christ, because in Christ, when I am weak, I am strong. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.